Trey actually touched on, there was like a perfect synergy between what Trey shared and what's on my heart this morning. And I love when stuff like that happens because um, it just confirms to me. Um, let's go to Luke chapter 21 this morning. Let's jump right into it. Luke chapter 21. And we're going to begin with verse 25. Luke chapter 21 and verses 25 through 26. So this is where Jesus is speaking of the last days, like Trey referred to. Um, And Jesus is going through the signs of the last days, and he says, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations, with perplexity the sea and the waves roaring. Verse 26, Men's hearts failing them from fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. So men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So when it says men's hearts failing them from fear, it's interesting the way it words it this way. I don't know exactly why it chose to word it this way. But when you look that up in the Greek, men's hearts filling them from fear, it's all actually just one word. And all it actually means is to breathe out. You know what that means? They die. So it's literally there will be people who because of their expectation of what they see ahead, they will literally die. Now, I'm not... I don't want to get to the fear part of this, but what I want to bring out is this shows us the power of expectation. The power of what you are looking forward to, the power of what you see ahead. Now go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. Now if that's the case in the negative, if expectation has the ability and the power to work death, how much more does a positive expectation have the power to work life? Alright, 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 10, it says, For he who would love life and see good days. For he who would love life and see good days. Now, we just had... Or maybe it was just me. I don't know if it was Keisha as much as it was just me. I had a bad week. I felt like just every day, like I laid my head down, I was like, well, that was bad. You know, it was just like, it just felt like I was doing that every single day. Uh, Just seems like every message I got, it was bad news. You know, every phone call I got, it was bad news. It It just felt that way to me. And I laid my head down one night, and I was like, this has been a bad week. And the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, but it's not a bad life. And I think we need to understand that a bad hour, a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, even a bad year or a bad season does not equal a bad life. And here we learn that that God wants us to love life. 
And he wants us to see good days. Not just dream about them, not just pray about them, but actually see and experience good days. And he would go on here and he'd say, Let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Everyone say, that's me. That's me. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So what I want to point out from these these scriptures is God wants us to love our life. He wants us to see good days. He wants to fill our lives with good days. And what that tells me is God doesn't want me stressed out. He doesn't want me fearful. He doesn't want me to be looking at everything through a negative lens. God doesn't want me laying my head down at night and looking at things and saying, well, that was bad. No, God wants me to have an outlook that says today was a good day. No matter what is going on. Because notice, even though bad things are happening in Luke chapter 21, It's not the things that are happening that causes death. It's the expectation of what that's going to lead to that is causing death. The power is in the expectation. You know, one of the let's go to Proverbs chapter three, verse one. You know, we're talking about seeing good days. One of the blessings that God wants you to experience is length of days. Now, listen to me. For years, when I seen... Let's read verse 1. My son, do not forget my law. And don't get hung up on that. That's Torah. That's just God's heart. It's His instruction. It's His teaching. But let your heart keep my commands. Verse 2. For length of days. Now, when I seen that word or heard that, that phrase, I always thought about long life. Length of days is long life. But look here in verse 2, for length of days and long life. They're two separate things. Length of days is not long life. Long life is not length of days. You know, part of the thing that stresses us out, and that's part of, you know, my problem is I look at so much I got to do. And so I'm thinking, man, we got to do this, we got to do that. I told my wife yesterday, we, we had to go to a funeral uh, back home in Hazard, and I was like, I just feel like I'm pressed with time. And, uh, and so I was stressed out the whole day. But, um, and I admit that, repent of that. But, um, but length of days, what is length of days? You know, the problem is, like I said, we feel like we don't have enough time. And we feel like the days are short. Or we either have those days that we feel like, man, I, the day, this day flew by and I didn't get done what I needed to get done. Or, we have those days that just drag on. And we're like, is this day ever going to end? I am ready for bed, and it is noon. Right? (laughs) But length of days is a blessing that God wants to give to us to where we feel like we've got plenty of time through the day to get done everything we need to get done, and that, that we enjoyed that day. It's a length of days and the long life. And what's the result? And peace they will add to you. So this is one of the blessings that God wants to give, a, give us. Length of days. So God wants to impart 
this supernatural blessing into our life. And this is part of seeing good days and loving life. Because we always feel like we're pressed on time. That's not the way God wants it. So we're talking about expectation. We're talking about what, we, what we're looking ahead to. In the positive, this is what the Bible refers to as hope. And that's what I want to minister on this morning. I want to minister on hope. And I want to talk about how we need to fill our heart with hope. Because when we talk about this stuff, like here is a blessing that I'm saying that we can have length of days, long life, peace. And we understand that everything God has provided by grace can only be accessed by what? Faith. Alright? So we immediately jump to faith. But there's something that, that's missing when we do that. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things what? Hoped for. Faith is the substance of of things hoped for. So a lot of times when we teach faith, we, we belittle hope. And we, we make it look like hope is useless. And that if we're hoping for something, we're actually in unbelief. No, hope is the foundation which faith is built upon. If you don't have hope, you can never get to faith. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, hope gives us a blueprint. And faith is the construction. Do, does that make sense? Faith is the blueprint. So what is hope? Hope, you know, the, 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 the definition that, that we go with, and I agree with it, it is the confident expectation of good. And we started out reading about those in Luke chapter 21, and how they have this confident expectation of bad. And because they have this confident expectation of bad, what happens? They die. Literally die. Men's hearts failing them for fear doesn't mean they're discouraged. It doesn't mean they feel like giving up. In the Greek, it literally means to breathe out. They die. They take their last breath. Why? Not because of what's happening, but what they're expecting to happen. Now, I'm not saying bad things aren't happening, but the, it, Jesus specifically says it's their expectation of those things that kills them. So we want to take and use that same power of expectation, but we want to use it in the positive. And when we can begin doing that, faith comes. See, we talk about Abraham being an example of faith, but Paul, when he was talking about Abraham as an example of faith, he said, who against hope? See, that sounds like those in Luke 21. No reason to hope. Talking about the last days, hell on earth, right? But it says, Abraham against hope believed in hope. All right. So even though there was reason for him to have a confident expectation of bad, Right, Because think about in the natural. There's no reason in the natural for him to believe that he is going to be the father of a multitude. But against hope, what did he do? He went around calling himself the father of many nations. He went, when he got discouraged, he went outside, he looked at the stars, he felt his toes in the sand, and it reminded him, it filled his heart with a picture of a confident expectation of good things that are coming in his life. All right, so, so 
So hope is a confident expectation of good. Fear is a confident expectation of bad. But faith needs hope. If we don't have hope, we can never get the faith. Let me tell you something. For years, faith people, they'll cuss you out almost if you say, I hope so. Let me tell you something. A biblical, I hope so, is a great start to getting whatever it is you need. But here's the problem. Many of us, like Trey was, was talking about, and many of us are afraid to get our hopes up. Like Trey was talking about these open doors. It's this season, this year of open doors. And we're afraid to get our hopes up about such a thing because life has disappointed us so much. See, and when that happens, you know what we do? we begin to adopt what I call, and I adopted the term from Dr. Jim Richard, circumstance theology. What's that? It's where we no longer determine what is true by what is written, but we determine what is true by our experience and the experiences of others. And what happens is when we adopt circumstance theology... For example, you know, I have never had one person, and I mean this, and I've had probably hundreds of people come at me over the issue of healing. I have never had someone be able to come at me with Scripture to prove that God doesn't heal ever. God's will isn't healing every time. No one's ever been able to come at me with Scripture. But you know what they will do? So-and-so. Myself. You. You. Referring to me, and, and we had a child who, who experienced sickness. So it, it's always about experience. What is that? That's circumstance theology. But we read length of days doesn't come from basing the truth on your experiences. Length of days comes from when we have His law, His instruction, His teaching, His way of love in our heart. When that is what we are saying, that is the truth. When we are holding this up and saying, this is what is true for me. This is the pictures that I'm going to paint in my heart. So, see, circumstance theology, here's what I call it. it is, this is my definition. Circumstance theology is when life programs your heart. Your heart is not to be determined by what's going on in your life. Your heart is to be programmed by the promises of this word. See, that's what Jesus taught. When he came along and he taught the parable of the sower, he said, listen, the sower sows the word. Where does he sow it into? The heart. Your heart, the, your heart was made, it was created to be a container for God's word. It was created to birth images that are given to you as you meditate upon the scriptures, as you meditate upon the promises and what God has for you. So we want to get back into this place that where when trying circumstances come, we aren't looking to our past experiences or the experiences of anyone else. Listen, there's been people I love who's had some terrible circumstances. I've had terrible circumstances. You've had terrible circumstances. But you got to get to where when you're believing God for something and that's the first thing that comes up, your automatic response is, a thousand may fall at my side, ten thousand at my right, but it won't come near me. Okay? 
That's so we want to get back to this place where the only thing programming our heart is the Word of God. We want to get to that place. And, and what is that programming that I'm talking about? Hope. Hope. Hope is when your heart has a good image on the inside. Hope is when you look to the future and you're confidently expecting good. All right? And we're not talking about putting our head in the, down in the sand. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. But let's go to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. We could, we could quote it, but let, let's go here. And, and I've had people in the past, you know, when you talk about Jeremiah 29, 11, they say, well, you know, that's not to you. That was to Israel, and so it's not for you. Listen, here's something you've got to understand. Every promise of God reveals an aspect of the character of God. Every promise of God reveals an aspect of the character of God. That's why Paul could come along and say all the promises of God are yes and amen were in Christ. Alright? All the promises of God. So, why? Because anytime he's ever made anyone a promise, he would make you that same promise. The character of that promise. Alright? The, 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 the heart of of that promise. So here he says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a what? A hope. Now in the New King James it says a future and a hope. In the King James Version it says an expected end. Now I really like it. I like both of those. But what I like about an expected end is, you know why we get in fear? The thought of an unexpected end. But what if this plane crashes? What if I get in a car wreck? What if this is the what if what if this is worst case scenario as far as this this pain goes? See, it's the and the idea of an unexpected end that puts us in fear. But here we see God says, Listen, my plan for you, my thoughts for you are to give you an expected end. You know that's what you see all through the book of Genesis. You see, think about it, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all of them. Think about how they died. All right, I'm about to go home. All the kids, come on. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to speak, speak well over you. I'm going to divide the inher spiritual inheritance, so to speak. And then usually what it says is, and then they put their feet up in the bed and they went. That's an expected end. All right, that's an expected end. And there's been people in our, our modern days, that T.L. Osborne did that. E.W. Kenyon did that. Charles Capps did that. These are men who told people, hey, listen, I'm going home next Saturday. If you want to see me, you better come see me because Saturday I'm out, all right? And um, so, so he wants to give us a, an expected end. He wants to give us a future and a hope. So hope is when we see a good future with the eyes of our heart. God wants you to be excited about your future. He wants your heart to be full of hope. Now, in the Hebrew, it's interesting, even though, you know, it's like a big, long phrase, to give you a future and a hope. Did you know in the Hebrew, it's only one word? To give you a future and a hope is one word in the Hebrew. You know what it is? Shalom. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, shalom. 
So what is shalom? Listen to me. It's safety, wellness, happy, friendly welfare. So think about that. Let's look at that. Safety, what is that? Protection. Wellness, what is that? Health. Happy, what is that? That's your emotions. Friendly, what is that? Relationships. Welfare, what is that? Finances. So God is saying, I want you to be hopeful, full of hope, have a good image in your heart of seeing protection, good health, healthy emotions, uh, healthy relationships, and healthy finances. Can you think of anything that you need that doesn't fall into one of those categories? So it's God wanting you to expect good in every area of your life. That's what hope is. Where I am expecting good in every area of my life. Doesn't matter what happened to mom and dad. Doesn't matter what happened to my best friend. Doesn't matter what's happened to me in the past. I'm seeing and expecting only good in my future. So now notice the emphasis on the word thoughts. We see that two times. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. See, now that's key. God knows the thoughts that He thinks towards you. Do you know the thoughts that He thinks towards you? And what are those? Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Now this word thoughts, here's what's interesting. It could be translated imagination. For I know the imaginations that I think towards you, says the Lord. Imaginations of peace and not of evil. And there's another Hebrew word. It's not used in this verse, but uh, uh, one it is Isaiah 26.3. For I will keep, or you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Perfect peace, it actually in the Hebrew it says shalom, shalom. So it's double this. All right? So I will keep him in shalom, shalom, but it's not automatic. Who's it for? Who keeps his mind stayed on you. All right? And the word mind is the Hebrew word yetzer. And that word, it, I mean, simply means imagination. For I will keep him in shalom, shalom, blessing in every area of his life, who keeps his imagination stayed on me. Fear only comes when the imagination goes in reverse. But hope comes when the imagination drives forward. All right? So he says, I want to give you thoughts. And here's something interesting about Yetzer. That word imagination, it means imagination, and listen to this, conception. So what that's teaching us is that our imagination is the womb of our life. And that in our imagination, we are literally conceiving our future. Job said, that which I feared, greatly feared, has come upon me. Job had conceived a future that said, what if something happens to my kids? Now, now it wasn't just a thought. We all have that, right? I mean, I, I shouldn't say that, but that, that's a common temptation for those of us who are parents. But it said Job did this every day. He woke up, he made a sacrifice just in case. Just in case. Just in case. I read, a, uh, I read this to my wife yesterday. I've been reading a book. Um, again, it's by Dr. Jim Richards. It's his newest book. But he was talking about it. And he said that 
See, and I know this is true. Your body cannot tell the difference between your imagination and an actual experience. It can't. That's why if you sit there and you'll start thinking fearful, what happens? Your heart starts beating. Boom, 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 boom. You start sweating. Why? Your body can't tell the difference if that's your imagination or if that's actually your experience. And so if you have something bad that you happen one time, well, that's just a one-time thing. But what usually happens is we replay it. Let's say in the example he gave, you replay it in your mind three times a day to such a degree, boom, 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 sweat. All right? Do it three times a day. So in a month, you've done it how many times? 90. All right? So your body can't tell if that only happened to you one time or 90 times. As far as your body is concerned, that event has happened to you 90 times. And you have just programmed on your heart victim. See, and I'm bringing that out just to say, our imagination is more powerful than we realize. And hope, if you want to get down to it, hope is something that can be seen. How, how do I know? He, he said, for we look not at the things which we can see, but at the things which we cannot see. Well, that sounds... Have you ever stopped and think about how strange some things sound in the Bible? We don't look at what we can see. We look at what we can't see. How do you look at something you can't see? For if a man, for, for if you have, why does a man hope for what he already has? So hope is actually a positive imagination, and that it's that imagination that is confidently expecting good. So God knows the thoughts and the imaginations He has for you. All right. Now I, I'm not going to talk about this, but I'm just going to throw this out there for those of you who like this stuff. Who's probably only going to be Logan. Um, <laughs> because me and him are nerds like that. But, you know, we talk a lot about what is foreknowledge. Do you know the word foreknowledge? When you look it up in the Greek, the definition is very simple. To see beforehand. Now, we look at that, and now I'm not saying God's not outside of time and can see past, present, future. But let me just ask you, what if, the, what if there's this idea that foreknowledge is actually the, the divine imagination? What if it's God looking ahead of time and using his imagination and seeing a good future for you? A hopeful future for you. Just something, just something to think about and you know, just but anyways, he says thoughts of peace and not of evil. This word not of evil, it's one Hebrew word, ra, R-A. Listen to what that means. Adversity, affliction, calamity, displeasure, distress, grief, hurt. Illness, misery, not pleased, sad, sore, trouble, worse. That is the thing that fills most of the believer's imaginations. And these are the things that God says, I'm not thinking about those things. I'm not imagining those things for you. I'm not seeing those things for you. So why are you? Alright? So, so why do you expect and see things in your future that God doesn't see. All right, go with me to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, where it says, This hope, so this confident expectation of good. 
What good does hope do us? It's our anchor for our, look here, our soul. Our mind, which is your, includes your thoughts, your imagination, your will, what you choose to do, your decisions, and uh, your emotions. Alright, so what you're feeling, what you're, what you're believing, who you're believing yourself to be. He says, you need an anchor. And what's the anchor? Hope. A confident expectation of good. Alright? See, your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions, it needs an anchor. It does. What, what's the purpose of an anchor? It holds the ship steady no matter what the waves are doing. When storms come, the ship, it may be rocking, but it ain't going nowhere. Why? Because it's anchored. And it's deeper than you can see with that ship. Alright? So hope is like that anchor in our heart. And even though bad... See, I'm not promising you a life with no trouble. But I am saying don't be expecting those things in the sense of where you're, you're just attracting and believing for those things. Man, have the attitude. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. And we just stop there. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Alright? That's an expected end. Trouble's coming, but guess what? I'm going to be delivered. All right? So, um, so here, here's the thing. All right. It's not enough to just read the Word. All right? The Word of God, it says, is seed. In the Greek, in Mark 4, when he talks about the seed is the Word of God. I love this. The Greek word, this is literally what the Greek word is, sperma. Guess where we get, guess what English word we get from that? All right. So we just learned that the Word of God is sperm, seed. We learned that our imagination is where we conceive. It's our womb. So that tells me that if we want a positive future, then we have to put the Word, the seed, in the womb, which is our imagination. So we need to plant the Word of God in our heart and begin to allow it to fill us with visions of a positive future. Of a, of a man, something that excites... Are you excited about your future? Think about that. Are you excited about your future? If you're not, this is for you. Because God is excited about your future. Colossians 1 and verse 23... Colossians 1.23 talks about that we need to, to have, that we need to stay with the hope, right here, if, you if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. One of the ways you know if you're hearing the gospel is it should fill you with hope. Now I'm not saying you, cannot, you can be hearing good teaching and it plays a part in the gospel, but if your heart, if the theme of your heart isn't good, you're not spending enough time meditating and hearing the gospel. Because the gospel will fill your heart with hope. Why? Because he who gave up his son, will he not freely give me all things? Right? So what do I have to dread? What do I have to fear? Because if the Lord who possesses all things says, I will freely give you all things, then I don't have to work for it, I don't have to earn, earn it, 
I don't have to qualify myself. It's mine. So I can have this confident expectation of good. John 16, verse 13. And in the King James, I want to read this in the King James. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. Now look here in the King James. It says, and he will show you things to come. He will show you things to come. He will show you things to come. I heard this the other day, and like Trey, I got my revelation in the shower so we won't go any further. But I heard the Lord say, He said, I can't show my people things to come because they're afraid to look at the future. I can't show my people what's to come because they're afraid to look at the future. Think about it. How many people? And I've been there. You're afraid to even think about the future because you've got this expectation of bad. You've got this expectation of ill or harm or worry or sickness, whatever it is. But, but one of the, the functions of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is He wants to show you things to come. Now, am I saying He won't warn you? Right? No. But He warns you. Why? Because He's got a good plan and He wants to help you to either overcome that thing, avoid that thing. Some way, He's only showing you that because... He wants to help you. And He's wanting you to know this is not the end. This is not the end. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Everybody say, that's me. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. All Alright? So, one of the works of the Holy Spirit that He wants to do in your life is He wants to give you hope and flood your heart with His divine imaginations. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 3. And go back to verse 10. Because I want to I wanna touch on something here. And this goes, like I said, this goes a lot with what uh, Trey was sharing. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Let's read back where we were. This is where we started. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. Now I love this because we talked about last week about watching what you say about yourself. All of our teaching on confessing the word and positive confession... I believe in that stuff. But here, isn't it interesting that Peter says, you know what? You would love your life and see good days if you would just stop saying some of the things you say. If you would just keep your mouth shut. Yeah, like Dan said, if you would just not call yourself a knucklehead, you might love your life a little bit more and see some better days. So just start there. Just start watching what you say. All right? Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13, And and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Now verse 14, look at this. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, look here, nor be troubled. Alright, 
Now, I don't know if you all know this, but this is an election year. All right? And I'm, I'm going to show you things to come right now. They are going to try to scare the Christians to death. Both sides. They are going to try to plant an imagination of fear in your heart. Now listen to me. I want to talk about this. Because, you know, when I talk about this stuff, those of us, again, probably just me and Logan, who, who, you know, think about and ponder and study on eschatology or end time stuff, when you're talking about hope and you're talking about a good future, you're sitting there in the back of your head thinking, yeah, but Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, the book of Revelation, on and on we can go. But I want you to notice here, it's true that all who live in godly will suffer persecution. But here's the problem. Too many believers, and I think the vast majority of believers, have their expectation on that. See, and they'll use that as a tactic to fire people up and to get people motivated. Listen, is it true that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution? Yes. Is it true that, listen, Jesus said it, Daniel said it, that the worst times this earth has ever seen will come? Is that true? Yes. But you should be like, so here's Peter. Think about Peter. Peter eventually died at the hands of the government. But here was Peter. He didn't have his expectation on it. He was prepared to die for his faith. But he said, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, even if you should, you're blessed. And he said, listen, don't be afraid of threats, nor be troubled. Here's what I'm getting at. Christians, too many of us are sitting there saying the world's against... Well, not the world. Government's against us. People are coming at us. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. We're all going to lose our heads. This is tough, isn't it? Because we've got this mindset. And I'm not denying anything Scripture says. But I'm going to show you from the Scripture that even... See, because remember... Luke 21, verse 25 and 26, they were expecting those things that were to come and fear filled their heart and they die. So we can look at those same things and know they're coming, but our expectation is safety, health, deliverance, uh, all of these things. Shalom, shalom. That should be our expectation. See, because this idea, listen, does the government love Christians? No. But I don't care about that. Because God loves me. Alright? God loves me. And Logan and I were discussing Scripture recently on the phone. It says the heart of the king is in his hands. So God promises me that he'll give me favor with him and man. Think about this. Think about Joseph. Joseph, if there was ever such a thing as a godless government, well, I mean, they had gods, but... The Hebrew God, right? Egypt was it. Because eventually when God judged them in Egypt, what did He judge? They're false gods. All right? But what happened with Joseph? Joseph went in there and he had the wisdom of God in him. 
And Joseph was promoted to such a degree that even Pharaoh didn't know all the things that he had put in Joseph's hand. What am I saying? Joseph had favor. In the midst of a godless, corrupt government, Joseph had favor. All right? Daniel, another godless, you know, uh, government. Here's Daniel. And that government looks at him and says, that man has an excellent spirit in him. What happens? Promotion. All right? So I'm just saying, why do we believe that we have to get our heads chopped off? First, why don't we first believe, no, I have good favor in the sight of God and in the sight of man. Why do we not have that mindset first and for, foremost? You know, and people say, well, yeah, but what about the early church? You're giving Old Testament examples. What about the early church, people that were preaching the gospel? I hear you. But do you realize how much favor the Apostle Paul had with the government? Insane amount of favor. But we just jumped to where he got, where he got beheaded. Come on, let's, let's look at some of these. I want to go through the book of Acts and look at some of these. Go with me to Acts chapter 23 and verse 11. Acts chapter 23 and verse 11. But the following night, the Lord stood by him, being Paul, and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. So what's about to happen? The Holy Spirit is showing him what? Things to come. Alright? For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Now what we're about to learn is, there's some bad stuff coming at Paul. But Jesus shows up and says, I want to give you a future and a hope. You're still going to preach. Alright? Verse 12, And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now that's a bad situation. Because man, the first moment some of them start to get hungry, they're going to get really serious about this. Yep, verse 15. Now you therefore, together with the council, suggest... Look here, so that they're coming up with a plan. How many knows in the dark places right now in this earth, there are people who are devising plans against the church? Alright? But now look here. Um, and said we have, uh, verse 15, Now you therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him, but we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So when Paul's sister's son, so his nephew's there, and he hears this plan, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called, now look here, Paul called one of the centurions, so one of the government officials, and he says, take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. Now, many of us would have the outlook, I'm dead. Because this government don't care about me. They want my head. So this is just, I'm just going to rid them of their, you know, of the money they're spending on me. It's going to be more food for people to eat. It's going to be an extra space available. I'm dead. Because I'm, 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 a, I'm a headache for these people. But Paul said, Paul clearly even if he didn't really have favor with the centurion, he believed that he had favor with the commander. He said, take him to the commander. All right, look what happens here. 
Uh, so he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this. And notice he says, Paul the prisoner. They knew who Paul was. And said, so, well, there's this Jew, and he's going around. There's this dead guy who died. And saying, you know, he didn't do that. They knew who he was. Called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you who has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand, went aside, and asked privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than forty of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, uh, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, Tell no one that you have revealed these things. Why do we expect there's conspiracies being made about us, but we're at the same time not expecting those conspiracies to be exposed? Verse 23, And he called for two centurions, saying, Prepare. Listen to this. One man, Paul, one, man, one thorn in their side. And they say, prepare 200 soldiers for one man. 70 horsemen and 200, 500 people is what we're essentially talking about here. Give this one man 500 to take care of him and make sure he's kept safe. And provide mounts to set Paul on. Even give him a good ride. Don't make him walk. Give him a good ride. And bring him safely to Felix the governor. Why don't we talk about that? Let's look at more. There's more. There's more. Acts chapter 27, verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners. The one that, so he's still a prisoner. Named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adramatium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. He's a prisoner. And they treat him kindly and say, go hang out with your friends for a little bit. Why don't we talk about that? Acts chapter 28, verse 17. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. He's still a prisoner. Alright? So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. He said, listen, the government originally didn't even want to do this. Okay? Now there's, we can, there's some debate there, but I, I just want to, let's just keep going. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. So this man is a 
prisoners. All right? Then they said to him, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor of any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. Um, but we desire to hear from you what you think, for concerning this sect we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So when they appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he ex- explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So here's Paul in chains to a government that does not believe what he's preaching. But what's happening here? Paul's a preaching. And he's doing it well. And he's getting people saved. Why don't we talk about this? And then read on down here, verse 30. This is how the book of Acts ends. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house. Now, listen. He's still a prisoner. And he's renting a house. And received all who came. He's got guests. He's got. He's throwing parties, gospel parties, and he's a prisoner. Verse thirty-one, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things that concern the Lord Jesus. Why don't we talk about this? Paul had an expectation of good. Paul had an expectation, a confident expectation of good. And people say, yeah, yeah, I know, but eventually the dude lost his head. Let's not ignore this. The dude lost his head. Philippians chapter 1 in verse 19. Is this blessing, you guys? We need to have... And the reason I'm sharing this is because even if you don't struggle with an expectation of bad when it comes to your personal life, many people do when it comes to being a Christian and the body of Christ at large. And I want you to know that you can have a confident expectation of good in every area of your life, including being a Christian. Favor with God and with man. Now, was Paul a prisoner? Yes. But even as a prisoner, he had favor. Philippians 1 verse 19 it says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, listen, I'm here, I'm, I'm in prison, but I know deliverance is coming. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul had the attitude, just like Peter, if I have to suffer, I'll suffer. All right? But what was Paul expecting? We're about to read. He wasn't expecting that just yet. All right, uh, Verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You can't trouble someone's heart who's got that attitude. Life's good either way. Verse 22. But, I li- but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean um, fruit from my labor. Now, I want you to notice this. This was such a powerful revela- revelation in my heart years ago. So he's saying, there's a chance I could die. But I'm believing I'm going to live. Look what he says. Now, who who would you think it was up to? The government. Do they want my head or not? But he says, yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. In other words, I've got much more of a choice in this situation than we tend to think of. Verse 23, 
there, uh, verse 23, uh, For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Verse 24, but look here where he, how he ends it. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So he's saying, it's better for me to die, but it's better for you if I live. Verse 25, and being confident of this. What, 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 what are you confident of? What are you expecting, Paul? I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. So Paul's saying, listen, I could live, I could die, and I don't know which one I'm going to pick. That's a man who believed the heart of the king is in the hands of Almighty God. That's a man who believed I have favor with God and man. When I want to go, I'll go. Now listen to this. 2 Timothy, Paul's last letter written. Chapter 4, last chapter. For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. So in Philippians 1, Paul says, I don't know what I'm going to choose. And then it's almost like he's like, well, he's writing. No, I do know what I'm going to choose. I'm going to stay for a while. And then he gets 2 Timothy 4 and he says, listen, I'm good. My work's done. You know what? I choose to go be with Christ. We have so much more authority than we realize. Hebrew, uh, actually, all right, really quick, just because, just in case, you know, you're thinking this, which is just me and Logan. Uh, Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. I want to show you something. Now, I'm of the persuasion that this is to come. Maybe you're not. That's fine. You're allowed to be wrong. But this is where people start to get in fear. And worry, because, you know, we've talked about, okay, yeah, we see it in the Old Testament, we see it in, in the early church, but there's the book of Revelation standing there, all right? Now, no matter what you believe about the timing of the Lord's return and stuff, I just want to point something out to you about this. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Now let me share something with you. Bear, lion, leopard. To the Hebrew, they read this and they think government. Because in the book of Daniel, each of these animals was a picture of a world power. Government. Alright? So we're dealing with a governing authority here. But look here. The dragon. Now who's the dragon? The devil. Satan. Gave him, who's him? This government beast. Gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Who gave him that power? The dragon. Satan. Alright? Don't forget that. And I saw one of his heads as been mortally wounded. And on and on we go. So, verse 4. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. Who gave authority to the beast? The dragon. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Uh, verse 5, and he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Verse 6, then he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Now, but look here at verse 7. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. But we read that and think, see, God, there's going to be this season when God's just going to let the devil just chop our heads off. Who gave him his authority? The dragon. Who do you have authority over? The dragon. 
Luke 10, 19, where Jesus talks, He saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven, and He says, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all of the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now it's okay, yeah, but yeah, but what's going to ha- look at Hebrews chapter eleven? Remember, Paul had authority. Why do we assume that there's going to come a day we're going to lose it? Hebrews eleven verse thirty-two. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms. Why don't we believe for that? Worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Why don't we believe for that? Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Why don't we believe for that? Women received their dead, raised to life again. Look here. Others were tortured. But look here. Not accepting deliverance. We just read of a man who finally got to the point where he decided, I don't need deliverance anymore. I'm ready to go. The time of my departure is at hand. I'm finished. I've ran my race. I've ran my course. I'm done. Here's all I'm saying. There's never, and look, and this was Paul. I mean, I'm not saying this was written about Paul. I'm just saying Paul falls in this category. Others were tortured not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Remember Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is what? Gain. So, here's what I'm getting at. There's never going to come a day you don't have authority. The closest place I can come that, that we don't have authority, 1 Corinthians 15, and it's a, it's a mystery there. It talks about the days coming when the Son will hand all authority back over to the Father. But listen, we're not in that day. And all that I can tell, that's after, that's, that's after the millennium and all that. But anyways, I don't want to get into that. Um, we have more authority than we realize. And, if you, and, and you know what fills you with fear? When you don't see your authority. When you believe that you are just going with the wind of the circumstances and you're not in control. The scripture does not paint a picture of just fatalism. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. Scripture doesn't paint that picture. The scripture paints a picture of you having a lot more authority and power than you realize. So, and and think about this. Jesus, when he was teaching on the last days, he said, listen, the day's coming. They're going to deliver you up to synagogue because you're going to be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And he didn't say, now start worrying about it. And start thinking about what you're going to do and what you're going to say. No, he said, but don't even think about what you're going to say. Why? Because, remember what he said in Matthew 6, today's trouble is sufficient for itself. I have no business expecting and looking forward to the problems that are to come. When the grace is needed, He is faithful to give me the grace that I need. Alright, so whatever's to come in the future, grace will be there. Grace will be there. Authority will be there. Alright, I'm coming to a close. 
So listen to this. What's my expectation? Psalm 23, verse 5 says, He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Why don't we believe that? You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Verse 26, look here. For surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. How many? All the days of my life. That's who Peter's talking about, the one who wants to see good days and love life. That's the one who knows goodness and mercy are right behind me. Goodness and mercy are pursuing me. Goodness and mercy are before me. It's behind me. It's all good and mercy. Goodness and mercy. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Go with me to Psalm chapter 27, verse 11. Psalm 27, verse 11. It says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path. Why don't we believe that? Listen, have you seen the meme? And it's like your plan, and it's a smooth service. God's plan, and it's like that. Listen, that's wrong. God's plan is like this. We're the ones who make it like this. All right? And lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. So he's not in denial that he has enemies. But look here, he said, Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. Is that true? Yes. False witnesses, yes, but look here. I would have lost heart. Sounds like those in Luke chapter 21. Unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In other words, not just an expectation of good in heaven, but no, I'm going to expect some goodness right here, right now, this day. All right, That's what we can believe for. Last place, Psalm 37. Listen, I'm going to tell you something you, you need to begin doing. Have you ever heard of something great happening to someone? Like, you know, say some debt gets paid off or somebody gives them a car, I don't know, a promotion, something. And you think, and we've all done it. Let's just be honest. Why, why doesn't anything like that ever happen to me? Why can't that happen to me? Now, we can get into the hard issues of that, but I just want to deal, I just want to deal with your expectation today. You know what you need to begin doing? When you hear a testimony of someone being healed, when you hear a testimony of someone's debt being paid off, you know what, you, you know what instead of saying, why, that, why can't that happen to me? You know what you need to start declaring? Stuff like that happens to me all the time. Healing, stuff like that happens to me all the time. Debt's canceled and paid for. Stuff like that happens to me all the time. Promotion, stuff like that happens to me all the time. Man, get your expectation up. Get your hope up. Listen, yesterday, I told you I was in a bad mood. Uh, my wife knows it. She'll amen it. Um, she said amen. And, uh, and, um, and the Lord was dealing with me. I knew I was going to minister on hope, but I didn't know the direction I would go and stuff. And we, and you know, and you married couples, you know how it is. Like, there's tension because one of you or both of you is in a bad mood, so you've got the radio on to kill, just say, because you don't want to deal with the silence. This is completely on me, though. But anyway, so Keisha's got the radio up, my song comes on. And so remember, I'm not talking to her about it, but I'm sitting there in my heart, I'm sitting there mad, like today's bad, but in my heart, I'm like, but tomorrow I'm going to preach on hope. <laughs> 
And, uh, yeah, we might as well be real, right? And um, this song's on, it's playing, and Keisha turns it down. And she's like, I don't like that. And she begins to, to complain. She begins to take her, her aggravation with me out on this song. And, and her, you know what she's complaining about about this song? Is it belittles hope. And talks about even though my hope is shaken. And I won't go on. I don't have a problem. I'm just saying. And Keisha's like, yeah, but don't you need hope? Because then it talks about how my faith will stay strong or something. And Keisha's like, yeah, but you need hope. So your faith stays strong. And she starts to, to go on about hope and how, you, you, how we shouldn't be confessing this negative hope. No, we need hope so we can have faith. You can't hope. Remember, hope is the foundation upon which we build our faith. Man, stuff like that happens to me all the time. Amen. Let that be your confession this week. Don't, don't be like the world. Listen, the world, so-and-so's got the flu. I'll get the flu. Every year about this time, um, you know, my allergies act up. About time for, for me to get the flu. It's about time for the other shoe to drop. No, no, no. When you hear the good stuff, my wife will tell you, this is God's honest truth. At my house, because now you really can't get away from commercials. I mean, like, you just can't. And the moment commercials start playing, I mute the TV. I, ha I mean, I would, I, I've never looked it up, but I would guarantee 50% of commercials are about medication. And they will tell you everything. That's, that, they just put stuff in your head. And so the moment the commercial comes on, I mute. And if I don't catch it, I guarantee you, I program my ears. The moment they hear, are you dealing with migraines, dizziness, mute. Like, I mean, I don't even have to be looking up. And if I'm in the kitchen or upstairs doing something and I hear it, I will run to the living room to get the remote and put it on mute. That's, that's not, I'm not expecting that. I expect good. Stuff like that happens to me all the time. Amen. Psalm 37, verse 1, we're coming to a close. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. Do not fret. Listen to me. This, at some point this year, I know it's already started, but it's going to ramp up to closer we get further we get in the year. The temptation is going to be to fret because of evildoers. You have a command from God, do not fret because of evildoers. Nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. See, it talks about man, when it talks about the godly man, it talks about, hey, he's like a vapor, disappears. But the violent man, the wicked man, is cut down. Don't look over stuff like that. Verse, verse 2, For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Verse 3, Trust in the Lord and do good. Look here. Dwell in the land and feed on what? His faithfulness. Don't feed on the news. Don't feed on the negative. Don't feed on everything that can go wrong. Feed on His faithfulness. Verse 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Now hear me out. People I love, people I look up to, you know, they'll talk about how, well, this is saying 
if you delight yourself in the Lord, then he'll put desires in your heart. Now, I do believe that. But contextually, that just that doesn't add up. It's saying here, if you're delighting yourself in the Lord, what is it that you're desiring? He's going to give that to you. Why? Because if you're delighting yourself in the Lord, you're not going to be sitting there thinking thoughts of theft and adultery and on and on we could go. You're not going to be thinking and desiring negative things. Why? Because you're delighting in Him. John said, if we walk in darkness and say that we have fellowship with Him, we make ourselves liars. What's he saying? Anytime there's darkness or sin, it's because we're not walking in fellowship with Him. You can't walk in fellowship or delight yourself in Him and, you're not, and your desires not be purified. So what is it you desire? Delight yourself in Him. And He'll give you the desires of your heart. You know what desire is? It's a confident expectation of good. A positive desire. Verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him. Listen here. And He shall bring it to pass. He will. He'll do it. Don't try to make it happen. He'll do it. Verse uh, 6. And he, I love this. And He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Listen, one of the blessings of salvation that we look over is justice is always promised. If you've been wronged, listen to me. Justice is coming. When you get upset about what's going on in this world... Justice is coming. Alright? So, verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. And look here what he says. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Don't fret. Don't be troubled. Don't confidently expect bad. Confidently expect good. So what am I going to do while I'm waiting? What am I going to do while I'm resting? I'm going to hope. I'm going to confidently expect good. I'm going to constantly fill my heart with the divine imaginations of blessings and goodness and mercy and health and, and prosperity and provision and peace and joy and love and on and on and on. Are you going to do that? Man, this week, I'm telling you, you're going to hear about some good stuff that happens to people. And I'm telling you, say it to them. Stuff like that happens to me all the time. So that's great. Stuff like that happens to me all the time. Man, we have favor with God and with man. And, and listen, what about those you don't have favor with? You have favor with God. You and God make the majority. Paul only needed one on his side, Jesus. And because Jesus was on his side, Jesus recruited literally an army to protect him and to keep him safe and gave him a good ride on the way. Amen. Let's believe for this stuff. Let's have a confident expectation of good. Does this bless you guys today? Yeah, Trey, go ahead, man.
Confident, expected good. I don't care what comes on this world. I'm confident, expected good. Uh, let's go ahead and take up our offering. Uh, I meant to do it beforehand, but I forgot, like usual. Um, so if you need to give an envelope, you can raise your hand. If you're watching online, you can go to gracepointgeorgetown.com and give. Father, we thank you for this seed. We bless each and every seed that is sown. Pray for an increase on it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we can go ahead and uh, cut the live stream. And um, again, if you need to give an envelope, raise your hand. But I just want to take five minutes. I'm not going to do like I've done previously. But I do want to take just a few minutes.